electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. S&P's trying to avoid a sixth straight loss as investors await Chair Powell on the Hill. Pharma execs on the Hill talking vaccine supply. Got retail earnings from Home Depot and Macy's and, of course, a host of reopening headlines. Our roadmap, though, is going to begin with the big tech tumble. Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft all sliding pre-market amid the backdrop of rising rates. Plus, Lucid Motors, yes, they got the deal done. It was a highly anticipated SPAC deal this morning. The stock, though, plunging. Why? Well, we'll explain. Peter Rawlinson will as well. He's the CEO of Lucid. He'll join us first on CNBC in a few minutes. And speaking of electric vehicles, well, Tesla shares continue to slide. Coming off the biggest fall since September 2020, the shares are now below their S&P 500 entry level. Carl. All right, guys. Um, Jim, it's not often you get the Dow higher and the NASDAQ uh, 2% plus down. Uh, How much of this is going to continue to bite the high multiple names? Does it accelerate from here? I think it can accelerate. I had to go back. uh, I went back six years. Uh, The sell-off that we had from 11-24-2015 to uh, February, first week of February 2016, is almost a, uh, a blueprint for this. And what happened then, that was when Janet Yellen said, you know what, we may have to, uh, put a rate hike through because things are better than expected. It turned out that the market couldn't handle it. And those the uh, stocks that were uh, fang stocks bottomed. But, you know, you got a long time before you bottom. And I think that one of the things that I think people have to be ready for. And I talked about uh, one of my absolute favorite uh, prognosticators, uh, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, uh, that there's pain. There's pain ahead. And, David, there's pain ahead because when you have the so-called reflation trade, a word I really hate because there's only like copper, this reflation. But when you have... Uh, a sense that there's a boom. David, it's very hard to hide the boom amidst the people who are unemployed. Meaning what, though, Jim? Well, I mean, I think that that Jay Powell, the Fed chief, is acutely aware of how many people don't have jobs. Ten million still, something like that, right? Uh, But at the same time, if you're going to flood the zone with more money uh, and people are going to be able to spend... Then you have a roaring 2021 for some and for others, you have nothing. And I think that the the roaring 2021 may be the uh, collateral damage, uh, if you want to be negative, uh, uh, of trying to get it so people go to work. And so we end up with a, a situation where you don't need high growth stocks because you have stocks like Freeport that are high growth. Right. Right. Well, given the move in copper in particular, exactly. Freeport, which, exactly. had a, which has had a very strong move. I mean, Carl, listen, we're going to talk about it a great deal. We're going to listen closely to Powell's testimony later today. We're going to keep an eye on Congress and see how far that one point nine trillion dollar bill can get. You know, there is some Senate opposition from centrist Democrats. So perhaps uh, the minimum wage um, gets gets reduced uh, or maybe even the overall number. But to Jim's point, Carl, there are a lot of questions here in terms of 
if we flood the zone, as Jim just said, are we going to end up with real inflation uh, and a boom at the same time and perhaps overheating? Uh, it's true, guys. Um, it's going to be a real uh, conundrum, as, as Jim points out, for the Fed chair. Although, Jim, if we go by his recent comments, he will probably continue to say we're not thinking about thinking about raising rates, that unemployment is higher than reported, that inflation spikes are expected and will be transitory. And as Barkin said yesterday, there's this creeping belief in disinflation that's going to anchor prices over the long term. Just well, a well, lack I of conviction by by in mass of of inflation really being a problem. Well, if you go back to this uh, period that I'm looking at, because you said, this is a period where Workday went from 83 to 49, Adobe went from 91 to 78. You had uh, Salesforce go from 82 to 53. Microsoft, Microsoft was the only one really held up. Apple uh, down a, a quick third. Uh, and what you had, uh, Netflix went up 489. What you had is an overreaction. And pretty soon, uh, almost in January after Yellen raised, you had a collapse in oil. Uh, you had a recognition that perhaps the rate hike, we weren't ready for it. And the money came roaring back to growth. So what I'm advising people is to say, let's stay the course. Make sure you have some of the Marriott's. Make sure you have some of the Southwest. Make sure you have, have some of the Disney's. But don't forget, this period will end. But we're at the beginning of it. And I think that today, David, today is such an important day. Why? Because today is a day where we discovered, uh, I, I think there was some lucidity that came to the market. <laughs> There was. We got we got we got some. Uh, yes, we uh, we got a clear sense as to value, at least as it is at, as it is viewed on behalf of those who are making a pipe investment in Churchill Capital Four or Lucid Motors now, uh, which is what it will become. Uh, and overall, we got a sense uh, to your point as to um, just how large this company is on a market cap basis. Let me let me go through it because. We've been watching this for quite some time. I mean, this was sort of the GME of Twitter, if you'd like, if you watch the Twitter stream on CCIV. <laughs> yeah, spit take. Yeah. <laughs> I did a Danny Thomas spit take uh, Well, it's true, right? I mean, it, and, and I mean, you and I both, I certainly came in for a great deal of criticism because 10 weeks ago I, I said that it wasn't necessarily a done deal, which, of course, it wasn't at the time. Um, but learned a lot since then, and certainly the enthusiasm of those in this stock has been undiminished. But they finally got the deal. Right. Uh, and now we know that there are going to be 1.6 billion shares outstanding. Uh, the pipe investors who invested at $15 a share, all right, there's one value for them. It's, let's call it a $24 billion or so. Uh, and then you've got a roughly still, based on this current stock price, $1.6 billion times 37. Where does that get you? Close to $60 billion, right? right. Uh, last night before the close, the company was valued at, let's call it, closer to $100 billion, um, $95, $100 billion, bigger than GM, bigger than Ford, as, as we know. Um, but we do now have a sense as to what it's worth. Now, that said, we're going to talk, Carl, a lot to, to Mr. Rawlinson about the views of the future. They will, of course, say that they trade an enterprise value over revenue that is far below that of Tesla, not to mention Neo and a num number of other big consumer EV names. car itself looks beautiful, but Jim... We did get, to your point, some lucidity when it came to Lucid. The deal has been announced, of course, at this point. The pipe investors have to be very lucky. You wonder how many will hang around once they're able to sell, given they got in at 15 for something that's still trading at more than two, twice that. David, uh, I thought I was in some sort of history lesson with my uh, Twitter feed because I kept reading about Churchill. Uh, may, and I was waiting. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight on here. No, we're fighting right now about a $50 billion value. It's going to be a 
hundred billion if the, with the Bloomberg leak. A hundred billion, David, is a lot of billions. It's a lot. And, of and you know, Churchill, okay, a, a great man. Churchill, the stock. Now we find out that when you buy a SPAC late in the game. You don't necessarily make money. No, but you know what? The enthusiasm for this name, there were pl- I had plenty. Of, I had a number of conversations late yesterday with some hedge fund managers you might anticipate who were thinking, well, maybe it's time. Maybe now that the deal is at hand, it's time to short it. But who would, Jim? You never know. No. You, you could have argued this morning that there would have been um, even more enthusiasm that, OK, 90, 100 billion is right. Or maybe it's even worth more given their what they're looking for. Two point. What's the number? Uh, in terms of EBITDA projections, and we'll get to all this with with um, with Rawlinson, but uh, t- it was 2.8 billion. I don't have the slide here in front of me. 2.8 billion in EBITDA in 2026, I think, is right. I'll get that slide for us as well. But oh, but David, that's a big beautiful. number. That page is beautiful. The 2023 EV over re- uh, slash yes. revenue. Yes. It's the cheap, David. It's so cheap versus Neo. I mean, how can you not be in it? And versus Tesla, they would tell you as well. Yes. Carl, Carl this is one of the most exciting Tesla, days. Which, it's uh, very Tesla. early. Yeah, we did, haven't even mentioned yet that Tesla's red for the year, actually below its S&P entry price this morning. Guys, we'll take a break. We'll talk to Rawlinson from Lucid after, uh, after this commercial. We'll get to some of the earnings, of course, from Home Depot and Macy's. Got upgrades of Texan, downgrades of Spotify. Back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, as we were just discussing, Lucid Motors confirms it is going public via merger with Churchill Capital 4. It is a SPAC deal that will bring four and a half, roughly, billion dollars in cash to the company's balance sheet. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is Lucid Motors CEO Peter Rawlinson. And Peter, congratulations on getting your deal done. Uh, Based on where the stock appears to be poised to open this morning, you're going to be overseeing a company that will have roughly a $60 billion market value. Um, does that make you nervous? Do you feel like you can deliver on that kind of expectation in the marketplace? I think that uh, the great news is that Luce is a tech company and we're bringing the world's best technology to the market this year here in the U.S. And I think that the valuation is a reflection of our technology. I think that that has been validated and endorsed 
simply through the due diligence that Churchill Capital have undertaken. And they're thrilled with the product, everything they've seen. I'm very confident we've got world-class tech. What we need to do now is humbly and diligently execute and get this into production. And that is what will truly drive the value. Uh, yes, it will. And it is behind some of the numbers that you're putting out there. Uh, and let me just share some of them because they're, they're impressive. Um, you are looking for generating as much as $2.885 billion in EBITDA uh, by 2026. So within the next five years. What gives you the confidence, Peter, that you can ramp up production uh, and sales, obviously, to the point where you're going to be able to deliver on that kind of a target? Well, I think we've got an ambitious yet realizable plan. Um, We've shown that we can execute. Uh, If you look at the factory that we've built to date, we did that in record time, the first greenfield purpose-built EV factory in North America. So the team I've got and surrounded myself with are consummate professionals, and we've got the expertise, we've got the track record of delivery. What's really important now, though, particularly over the next few months, is to get our first product into production. That's the great litmus. Okay, so Peter, uh, you say you're a technology company, and I, I share that. And on page 37 of your excellent deck that has everything that people should know, leading charging speeds. I happen to think that the differential for many, many people and many, many cars is how quick you can get on the road and how quick you can charge. Give us what you can do versus the other guys. Absolutely, Jim. I couldn't agree more. It's a huge differential. So here we have a charging speed where we can put 300 miles in the car in around 20 minutes. And we're doing that with uh, ultra high voltage, over 900 volt charging through our partnership with Electrify America. This is next generation technology. And we're doing that with our Wonderbox boost charger. And not only that, we've got two-way charging on board. So we can actually go vehicle to grid. You can run your house off the car. Well, I also like, uh, as someone who has kids who drive, I see that you have 32 sensors on board, a comprehensive sensor suite. I always ask my kids, how many sensors? Why? Because this is what a parent cares about. This is the most, correct? This is the maybe the safest car on the road. To the best of my knowledge, it's the most comprehensive and beautifully integrated sensor suite for autonomous driving and ADAS. Over 14 cameras, 32 sensors, and we fuse long and short range radar, surround radar with long range, plus a 120 degree solid state LIDAR in the nose. So, Peter, one of the things I think our, our viewers, they're so excited. They wanted a piece. They bought Churchill. Uh, when you try to figure out a price, do you, did you say, listen, you know what, we're every bit as good as Tesla, if not better, but we're priced underneath Tesla, so therefore anyone who thinks that this is overpriced as a stock is missing the big point, which is we have more technology, we have faster charging, we got a better car, and we're cheaper than the stock of Tesla. Well, I think there's a gross misunderstanding on the market, actually, Jim, because actually the price, uh, the acquisition price of Lucid from Churchill was $11.75 billion. That was a snip. It was a great deal for Churchill. But there was a quid pro quo. Churchill brought this incredible array of the bluest of blue chip companies to invest in us. 
with long-term commitment, with a lock-up and a commitment. And those companies provided there was, there was a, we were oversubscribed for the pipe. So we actually ex expanded the pipe. And the pipe sold at $15. And this is unprecedented in the, in the history of SPACs. So this is why uh, I'm so buoyed that so many of these savvy investors, blue chip companies, could see the long-term value potential, and that lies in Lucid's technology. Yeah, and Peter, I mean, to that point, you did sell 16% of the company to CCIV shareholders, and to your point, the pipe holders will own about 10% at 15, which is 50% more than those who invested originally in the SPAC at 10 have paid. Yes. But that said, you still uh, sold 26% of the company at a discounted value. When I say that, I, I mention it because you might have just gone public the traditional way. There seemed to be great enthusiasm for your stock and your product. Why did you still choose to go this way? I think that this is enabled us to secure our future. We've raised over four and a half billion dollars. This means that we can accelerate our business model and in a secure manner. And this is really important because the whole world needs to move to sustainable mobility with technology. And this means that Lucid can be at the forefront of this new movement. The world cannot wait. This has given us security, commitment from long-term investors, and we've been augmented as a company by the illustrious roster of luminaries that Churchill Capital has, has uh, assembled, which provides a whole new dynamic and dimension as we grow the business going forward. Yeah, well, growth is, of course, what everybody's going to be focused on. You say by 2030, you anticipate run rate production of more than 500,000 units. That would represent roughly 4% market share of a 2030 TAM of 15 million overall units. Uh, it doesn't appear to be too, uh, too much of a reach, I guess, in some ways. But at the same time, aren't we going to get, aren't you going to get significant com competition from the likes of high-end uh, automobile makers who move into EV in a very significant way? And here we're thinking, for example, of Porsche and many others, Audi, yeah, I you know, on and on. Now, that question has been posed many times over the last decade, and that was the question that was posed of Tesla's run. They haven't come anytime soon. I mean, only last uh, week we learned that Jaguar had cancelled their new XJ electric vehicle program. You know, as far as I'm concerned, we have to take a preeminent position. This is a tech race. And I believe only two companies realize that and recognize that. Tesla recognizes it. That's led to their preeminent position. Lucid recognizes it. We welcome the competition. Bring it on. I can't wait for Mercedes to launch EQS and for that to, to be head-to-head -to -head against Lucid Air. We welcome that competition. Everybody wins. The planet, the customers. You win. Uh, Peter, there's a another page in your deck. And again, I'm urging people to understand the deck. Why? Because Churchill, the stock, it may be confusing to people, but Lucid, the company, 19 top execs, eight went to Indeed. work from Tesla, three from Apple. This is a technology company. What do the Apple people add to the Tesla people to make it so that you've got the technology of the future car? Well, that's an easy one. 
the car is a computer on wheels. This is a fusion of art and science and hardware and software. We've got the best of the best. And Lucid's becoming a mecca for talent, for top scientists, designers, and lead. We've got the fusion of Apple executives with Tesla executives. These are the two worlds that make the new modern era of automobiles. This is a, it's a computer on wheels, but it's still a car. We're a tech company and a car company. Uh, it's a computer on wheels, but it still needs to plug in somewhere to actually get its energy. I mean, are, is the infrastructure going to be there, Peter, to support uh, what you need uh, in, in terms of uh, people being able to find the places they need to charge their cars in the 20 minutes or so that you say it will take? Absolutely. The infrastructure is already in place. Electricity is uh, everywhere. Most charging is done overnight in one's garage. Left two a charger and with our wonder box technology we can charge the car at nearly 90 miles per hour at home that's a game changer that's when most charging is done um, and then we've got the great partnership with electrify america which is growing exponentially so we can have this thousand volt for up to 350 kilowatt capacity but it's the 90 miles nearly 90 miles in one hour at home charging level two, which I think is a game changer. Yeah. Back to the balance sheet for a moment. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be free cash flow positive, you say, in, I see, 2025 is what I see here. Uh, yes. Between now and then, obviously, significant losses. Uh, are you going to need to raise more money beyond the four and a half billion you currently have on your balance sheet? Absolutely, because this is a capital-intensive business. Our balance sheet will secure our runway into 2023. We'll have built out phase two of the factory that we can get the economy of scale ready for uh, the launch of Project Gravity. We'll have gravity very close to production. This secures our future for a very long runway. But this is capital-intensive, and I'll tell you why. Because there is no substitute for vertical integration. Tesla recognizes this. We cannot outsource or entrust manufacturing to a third party. It is too critical to our very existence. Nor can we entrust the precious relationship with our customers. And so the sales and service network, and I'm here in our Beverly Hill studio this morning. This isn't a virtual background. This is real. And this is the customer experience. We need to invest in these. They're asset heavy. But we can be asset light with our relationship with Electrify America. We don't have the capital burden that Tesla has encountered with rolling out its supercharged network, although I applaud them for doing it. Peter, uh, David Faber has introduced us to a number of battery companies, including QuantumScape, which has been one of yeah. the most exciting companies. And yet here I am looking at Lucid single-piece brick injection molded battery, and you're talking about the ability to manufacture millions of units that's a game changer yes. i think it is it's truly designed for mass production in a way that others haven't when i look at the current products that are out there frankly they look like science projects that have been industrialized <laughs> what we've done is create design for manufacturing and it applies to all our electric powertrain and what you've seen the picture you've seen is a single shot 
plastic injection molding where all those elements, those electrical contactors, those bus bars, are encapsulated as the plastic flows and that pops out of the mold. It's a single shot deal. That's revolutionary. That's like a Lego brick. Peter, soon enough, I think Jim and I and Carl maybe want to get a ride, you know, want to test drive that, uh, that oh. Lucid Air. So, and hopefully we'll be able to do that in person with you at some point. I, I, that, that, that's a date. I, I, will, I will personally bring one round and you must drive and experience. Driving is believing. All right. Uh, well, we will be watching closely. Always appreciate your joining us. And again, congrats on getting to the finish line with uh, Churchill Capital Four. Peter Rawlinson, the CEO of Lucid. Thank you so much. Great discussion, guys. We'll take a break here, get a look at futures, and then the opening bell on the other side. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Home Depot share is going to open down about uh, 2%, Jim. Uh, 265 is a three-cent beat, revenue ahead. Comps up almost 25, and although there's no formal guidance for the year, they do add that if the demand uh, environment persists, uh, you're looking at comps that are basically flat, does up small. Yeah, this is the curse of success. Uh, we've seen this the last couple of days. Uh, if you've been doing great during the pandemic, it's very difficult for you to come out and say, you know what, we're going to continue to do great. Uh, housing's been tremendous. Uh, they obviously are saying, listen, things could be less brisk. There's an article today in the papers about how Stanley can't meet uh, uh, demand. Uh, and we know that lumber's very high. But in the end, uh, I want to point out that if they have a good spring, then you're going to be able to say, you know what? This is still the one to own. But let it come in. Let it come in, David, because, you know, what's happened is that the expectations for every single one of the essential retailers, David, are too high. The non-essential retailers, the expectations, are low. So you'll have a John Duskin come out, Macellum yesterday, and talk about Kohl's, which is already up from the, the teens to 55, because no one expected anything good from Kohl's. And then you have Home Depot, and everyone expected great things from Home Depot. What are they going to do? They're going to say, listen, it's, it's, it, when we open up, when we open in America and we're all vaccinated, it's going to get even better. Why would it get better? It won't. It won't. The comparisons are going to be difficult for a number of areas in the economy that benefited enormously from people being home and from the incredible move towards digitization overall. It's going to be tough comparisons. Doesn't mean they're not doing well, but they had a gap up, didn't they? I'd rather go to Disney than Home Depot. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Disney all time high yesterday. We'll talk about some of the reopening yeah. stories, uh, Jim. And as for comps, uh, grocery stores are going to have a tough two. Um, B of A cuts Kroger today to un oh. underperform 28, 28 target as they see, Jim, more uh, promotions and tougher margin risk. There's a look at the S&P and the uh, NYC and the NASDAQ. Uh, yeah, although, you know, Jim, um, it cuts all different sorts of ways. Starbucks gets uh, named a top reopening play at BMO this morning. Well, you know, 
but I've been waiting for Starbucks when Chapersoft owns it. The Star- Starbucks was always the situation where when China opens up and the United States opens up, it couldn't do well. It had a very big move off of China, not that much off the United States. And this piece just basically says the technology is going to start working. Um, this Starbucks, unfortunately, reminds me a little bit of Chipotle which is that there were a lot of people who said, you know what, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, I'll be there. Uh, And now we've got someone recommending it, and people are saying, well, you know what, it's been there. It is not a Southwest Air. It's not a United. It's not a theme park. It's something that's been there, and it continues to be there. And I don't, uh, like I said, my trust owns it, but I can't get excited about it. David, the only stuff I'm really, really excited about are things that make it so that we are able to have a great time because we've been Moderna, we've been Pfizer, we've been AstraZeneca, and we're going on the road and we're going to go to California and we're going to go to Europe one day and we're going to see things mm. and we're going to go, David, on a carnival cruise. No, I'm not going on a carnival cruise, but you're going to make me cry, but I'm not going on a cruise. I'll go anywhere else. I'm not going to. Would, would you be willing to have dinner with me? Yes. You said no this weekend. Well, you keep saying we. You really. said no this weekend when I said I wanted to have dinner yeah, with you. Yeah, because the we you keep talking about really is just you right now. Because you're the one who's been vaccinated. Oh. The other two of us haven't been vaccinated yet. Rock's a rock. Come on. Will I, you please let me go I, out with you? I, 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 I mean, I, 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 Carl, I'm asymptomatic I keep trying something. to find an underlying condition. I guess, you know, I don't have the BMI I need. I don't have the heart <laughs> Too murmur, healthy. Carl. Yeah. Body's a, body's a temple. What are you going to do? It's, it's, it's your downfall. It's my, I it's my love fault. Moderna. Don't smoke. I don't do anything. I don't Moderna know. changed my life. Yeah. Moderna yeah. changed your life. Moderna changed my life. I'm glad. And I, I can't you know, I sold wait. Moderna when I was at 18 at J.P. Morgan a couple years ago, and I gave the guy a hard time. I, I apologize. You know, it, it, it does. It does. <laughs> it is worth pausing occasionally because a year ago when we were just, and we showed that clip yesterday, Carl, of us talking about how people wouldn't shake hands, but we were just on Unfortunately, we? moving into we? yes, we you wouldn't shake my hand. No, but we all yeah, you had a mask on already, and by the way, rightly so. I had N95s up to was everything you I didn't were know saying that they at were that point ended up be. being correct. But I, my I, point I, is, I never hoarded we, N95s. I never we hoarded. haven't paused to just recognize the incredible advances that science made in in less than twelve. It's 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 a miracle. It is. It really is, and well, these vaccines there's no, work. There's, there's no doubt. Warp speed. Uh, guys, uh, it's such a good point, David. I mean, the, the pharma execs today are probably going to be overshadowed by Powell, but Pfizer's uh, going to ship 13 million doses a week wow. uh, by the middle of March. That's double uh, the early February number. Uh, J&J, Jim, has some testimony this morning about how much they're going to ship. Look at Las Vegas Sands this morning, Jim, and Wynn and MGM. Uh, Vegas is going to start going back to 24-7. Uh, Macau restrictions got lifted. Uh, and to your point about Carnival, uh, pricing, what was it? Pricing $40 million at twenty five ten. Yep. as they take advantage of uh, this continued belief in a rebound. Now, Wynn uh, is run by a man, uh, Maddox. Okay, now this fella, when you talk with him, fella, I like that, sounds like my dad, Matt Maddox. What he did when I spoke to him was say, okay, listen, it's a ventilation problem, it's an air problem. They have spent more money, more time, more experts to make it so that uh, you feel safe at win that I would go it to win it. Now, Dave, I know you don't want to go on a cruise. Would you be willing to go with me to the blackjack tables at win? Yes, sure. Really? Once I've been vaccinated, I'll go anywhere you want. I just I'm not I'd rather do something else than cruise right now. That's all. How about I'll go to your house in Italy. You, will you invite me? 
Italy's a little hard to get to right now because of some issues they have. Okay, when that opens up? And we had a very big storm, but don't worry about it. The olive oil, I, I promise you, I is think I'm hearing ever. a no, Carl. I'm not getting the yes that I'm looking for here. <laughs> the Germans booked it. The Germans booked it the whole year. The Germans, they're like, hey, we're on. My wife's been like, Germans. I mean, she's learned Italian. It's a very hard language, by the way. There's like seven different versions of is. Um, Guys, back to the back to the market. Uh, Churchill Capital is down 45 percent. Uh, now, yeah, and uh, we could have anticipated that might be the case to some extent, given the valuation numbers. We just didn't know. We didn't know how dilutive the pipe would be. We didn't know how many shares overall the company would have. Now we do. It's going to have 1.6 billion outstanding shares when the deal with Churchill Capital and Lucid is completed. Uh, and so you can get a market cap there. And as of yesterday's close, it was close to $100 billion. There does seem to be a realization, perhaps, that that was more than, should have, than it should have been. Even people- on $2.8 billion in anticipated EBITDA in 2026, that's still quite a hefty multiple on that number. Now you're down below $60 billion. But the stock is dropping dramatically, Jim. I, I'm sorry I interrupted. And but bringing, I other, make, bringing other SPACs right, with it. I want to make a point to people at home. David Faber did not kill Churchill. David Faber did not say that Churchill was too high. David Faber has continually said that the price may not be right, okay? And for those who are saying that the CNBC killed Churchill, give me a break. This was one that David suggested may be out of whack with where it's going to trade. And I'm defending you, David, because from the beginning, you suggested that perhaps this stock had too much enthusiasm. It had a great deal. It became the poster child for speculation in the SPAC space. By the way, it's still threefold what the issue price was for the SPAC itself. It's still an incredible success story. Michael Klein, the sponsor who's on to Churchill Capital 7, has become a billionaire uh, with some of his other deals and potentially with this one as well. You heard Rawlinson, the pipe investors are in there at 15. They've still got a double on their hands. And they just bought, they just committed to that yesterday. A lot more would have. Why would you? Because conceivably it's well, it's not free money, but it's the prospect of it. You know, can't forget about the options markets here either, Jim, and what the role they play. I mean, this thing, the March 60 calls, there were 25,000 contracts as of yesterday. The calls were trading at 1386. You had, of the March 50, 30,000 contracts. The options market here has also been very active. And I mentioned uh, that other SPACs are, are getting hit. You know, there are other names now starting to sort of see their See their numbers come, the, the, stock, the SPAC price come down because this was in many ways a reflection of sort of the, the best of the best, I guess. Yes. Well, we got to go back, Carl, to something Michael Semblis, a strategist at J.P. Morgan, said. And we know Michael is as controversial as all get out. But he did say the people who get in hmm. early, good. The people get in the pipe, good. The people who come in later, maybe good, maybe not. And this is one, Carl, where we see that not everything is golden. In the SPAC world. Uh, That's true. I mean, uh, look at the NASDAQ right now. We're on pace, Jim, for the biggest two-day decline since early September. Um, And it's not just just Teslas, of course. It's a a host of uh, NDX names that were doing extremely well last summer. Look at uh, Kathy Wood's ARC, Um, Jim, uh, down, I think, at least 14% from the high. Well, those of us, obviously, you get the 6 o'clock report. It reminds me, by the way, of when I used to listen to Bob Prechter. I mean, now we're going back to the age. The Elliott Wave. Yeah, the Elliott Wave. It'd be like, okay, what did she buy today? And then she came on that unbelievable halftime show where she basically talked about stocks 
that are cash equivalents that I regard as some of the most dangerous stocks in the market. But that's okay because when you have the Midas touch, it's great. But, David, there was a song. King Midas in reverse. Yes. That's today. That's turning gold into... What's a song? Oh, it was? Carl, he, he uh, doesn't know. Sometimes I don't pop know. Pop culture. There's gaps. Mm, King there's Midas gaps. reverse. Good song, right? You might have me on this one, too. That's, if you got Midas. him, then it's impossible. That guy, he could win that, whatever that was. Look, she's, Carl could win look, the name tune. She's fabulous because she loved Tesla, so shut up. All right. You know what's first on her list this morning is Discovery. I wouldn't have expected that. She bought 179,000 shares. Not a big Well, that could uh, be a cash for equivalent for Kathy. you know Blue. what? Has anybody taken a look? Did you guys see the move in Discovery and Viacom yesterday? By the way, Disney and Fox also up dramatically. A lot of people scratching their heads to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, Discovery did, listen, they did have uh, strong numbers, 11.7 million uh, direct-to-consumer subscribers. This only after, what, a few weeks after the launch of Discovery+. Plus. Right. Look at the move in that stock price. And by the way, it is backing off a bit today. Take a look at Viacom as well. Oh. And Viacom's going to have their analyst meeting uh, tomorrow, or investor day meeting is what they call it. And let me just give you a quick, you know, just Barclays comes out and said, listen, 2021 likely to be the last year Viacom CBS can uh, try and change the streaming narrative due to its cash flow position. Cash flow likely to be around $1.5 billion in 21, maybe 2 to $2.2 billion optimistically after that. That's versus the $3.5 billion in cash flow at peak that we originally were hearing pro forma from when they were getting together with CBS. Just to give you some sense there as to what they're dealing with. One year up 130%. That's basically an all-time high, the stock hit yesterday uh, at Viacom. It's been an incredible move. This year alone, it was up almost 80% until today's move. We'll keep an eye closely on that investor day. Finally, speaking of companies and what can happen from high flyers, well, you know, GE, I got to come back to it, Jim, because I had that long conversation with former chairman and CEO uh, of GE, Jeff Immelt. Um, and it's on the web. If you want to watch the entire interview, we can take a look at, of course, what happened to GE stock over a long period of time. But I did ask Mr. Immelt, uh, what was his best day and what was his worst day? Take a listen. My best day was, uh, I think it was October 1st, 2008, when we completed the equity raise in the middle of the financial crisis, uh, it was a very difficult decision. It was a very difficult day. And when we completed that, you know, I, I really felt, uh, you know, with Keith and Mike Neal and everybody, like we really accomplished something in a very brutal time. I bet your worst day was probably right around then, too. What was it? You know, David, I would say my worst day was maybe five days before when Washington Mutual went bankrupt and uh, our credit default swaps uh, blew out. And it was just, you know, it's hard to describe how frightful the financial crisis really was. Sometimes we do forget, Jim. You know, the question was, could they roll their commercial paper? They did, but it was awfully close at GE. I remember the days when you went to the CAF, short for cafeteria. And people would say, did you cash your check? Are you okay? And uh, Carl, when you talk about worried about cashing your check, I, I think it is, it's kind of like, uh, let, let's say that's a nadir when it comes to working for a company. Mm-hmm. I remember like yesterday, Jim, you coming on. I was on Squawk at the time, and we had some discussions pre-market that were truly harrowing. Uh, that's an incredible recollection by, yeah. by email guys. Um, so NASDAQ pronounced weakness, 10-year 136. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Indeed, at 136, we've eased back, you know, in our foray to 140. Look at a one-year of 10s. 
you know, basically we're at one-year uh, high yields. But the important part is look on the right side. You see the right-hand side, the last maybe one-sixth of that chart, where it basically gets turbochargers from the end of January? Well, that was the last Fed meeting. And if anybody doesn't think that Jay Powell and company are uber, uber to the 50 million power dovish, that chart pretty much says it. They may not want to raise rates, but they aren't necessarily the only voices to be heard. Investors have something to say about that. If you look at 30-year bonds, they are over a one-year high yield now, going 13 months. So let's look at the knob, notes over bond. Notes over bonds at a five-year wide. You know what that tells me? Everything we've been seeing with rates will most likely continue. And if you look at tens minus boons, it's at a four-year wide. We're starting to leave Europe in the dust with respect to rates, and that's significant, especially considering we're spending the most. We want to spend another $1.9 trillion. Do we need it? The markets are really auguring a different scenario than the political side. And finally, if we look at what's going on in Boone's, the last time they were positive, they tested 29 base points. was in middle of 2019. So we're really coming up quickly. And finally, JGBs, the least negative since November of 2018. And that's what yield curve control. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Medtronic's uh, CEO, Jeffrey Martha, on his company's quarterly results and where the pandemic fits into the picture. In the meantime, watching closely the Nasdaq below the 50-day for the first time since November 3. Don't go away. Medtronic reporting a quarterly profit above Wall Street estimates helped in part by a stronger demand for ventilators amid the pandemic, but also many other things because the gross margins were extraordinary here. Medtronic chairman and CEO Jeffrey Martha joins us right now, first on CNBC. I'm going to go right to it, Jeffrey. Uh, your, your MITG, which is the Minimally Invasive Therapies Group, had an extraordinary 4.6% organic growth, which is huge. How are you able to do that? Well, this quarter, uh, it, some of that came from ventilator sales and, and pulse oximetry sales, which were, you know, helping uh, patients with COVID. Uh, but, you know, actually, that is a, a relatively a small part of, of the company's total uh, revenue. Really, in, in that MITG division, what really drove a lot of it also is our, our surgical business, which is one of our core franchises. It's our largest business, and it had a, a really strong quarter uh, and took market share. People don't understand your neuromodulation business. Now, you and I have talked about it off camera. Uh, it's extraordinary. You own it. No competition. 3% organic growth. Explain to people the wonder of this division. Look, as you mentioned, Jim, neuromodulation is, it is a, a wonderful uh, technology uh, that does so much for patients and I think has a very bright future. Medtronic invented it over 20 years ago, and we're in a couple of segments. One is a brain modulation for treatment of, of, of neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, uh, pain, uh, where we actually block using a, an implantable stimulator to block pain signals to the brain to alleviate back and leg pain. And then another one which is not talked about a lot but is a, is a big market, probably uh, 800 million, uh, almost a billion dollar market and growing double digits right now, is overactive bladder. Uh, you know, um, incontinence uh, for women in, in particular. 
Uh, and, and this is a business that, you know, pe people don't like to talk about it very much, but it's a, it's a, it's a huge need out there. And that, that market is growing in the double digits. And uh, we stimulate uh, a, a nerve, a, the sacral nerve, to control overactive bladder. So it, and overall, what you're seeing here is between the miniaturization of electronics, uh, the introduction of data, and the, able, the ability to personalize therapy uh, through closed loop, you know, we are moving to the, to the front of the line here uh, uh, for therapies for, for these conditions. Jeff, is this the year that you can go up against Dexcom, go up against Abbott with, with uh, Libra? Because your diabetes franchise was uh, first among equals. And I know that you're just uh, chomping at the bit to be able to compete here. Absolutely. Look, diabetes is, is probably the biggest area that we're focused on in getting back to that market growth. And, you know, we compete against the, those guys. But we, we're the one company, though, that has the complete solution. The uh, insulin delivery, uh, the uh, continuous glucose monitoring, the uh, algorithms that, uh, that drive those two tech, the drive of those technologies, as well as the, the customer service, because it's a heavy patient interaction business, and we're global. And we, we are the one company with that total solution versus the piece parts. Uh, and um, our, our, our weakness has been uh, the uh, continuous glucose monitoring. And we're launching a number of products in that area that will get us back to, uh, to uh, comp you know, a competitive position. Matter of fact, we just launched our new, what we call our 780G uh, closed loop system in uh, Europe. And it, we are gaining share there. It's not in the United States yet. We can't wait to get it to the United States. We're, get, we're gaining share. The, the patient feedback is phenomenal. And the time and range, which diabetics, diabetics like to manage, is at levels we've never seen before. So give us optimism for the future for that division. Speaking of the future, Jeffrey, uh, the Times has a piece out this morning talking about the health effects that come from a period like the pandemic where you had a dramatic drop-off in preventative care, doctor visits, for an entire year. Uh, and the question is, how does that manifest itself as we come out of the pandemic? Do you think that... Um, although it's tragic for, for that patient population, that will drive demand in the back half of this year? Well, first of all, let me, do it. Let me address the patient situation. It is, it is a tragic situation, and Medtronic, as well as some of our uh, competitors, are working with uh, the different physician societies and the hospitals to get you know, campaign public messaging out there. Matter of fact, Medtronic, with the American Heart Association, sponsored a campaign called Don't uh, Die of Doubt. You know, get, if you're, you know, get you know, encouraging patients who are having symptoms to get to the hospital because we are seeing patients present themselves further down uh, in the, into their condition, uh, and it is a problem. And so, yes, it will drive, it will drive demand. Uh, there will be a pent-up demand, and patients uh, will be hitting the hospitals. And we're seeing hospitals gear up for that. And we, in our uh, quarterly earnings here, we talked about our, our capital equipment sales. We do sell equipment uh, tied, directly tied to these uh, procedures. Uh, and, and hospitals are buying this capital equipment, things like consoles uh, that power surgical tools, surgical robots like we talked about for orthopedics, in our case spine, uh, navigation systems for surgery. We're seeing that capital equipment sales at record levels because they're, they're preparing for this, uh, this patient uh, you know, rebound. Uh, Jeff, look, it's a remarkable quarter, and people should know that this is done when many people don't want to go to a hospital for be able to do tests. Uh, that's Jeffrey Martha, a wonderful quarter of Medtronic, Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you.
call. We will take a break here. I got to watch the NASDAQ as we take a look at the NDX here. NASDAQ's down 450 points. Uh, Biggest two-day loss in several months below the 50-day and now down 7.5% from the closing high. Stay with us. We're moments away from uh, Fed Chair Powell at Senate Banking. We're going to have one eye on him, his testimony and Q&A, the other on uh, rates, the VIX uh, at 25 and change, and the NASDAQ now at its lowest level since January 29th. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. I know the stock of Macy's is down, but I think Jeff Gannett's done a couple of things that are pretty important. Inventory's down big. Uh, the number that I like to look at is credit card, uh, 258 million. Why credit card? Because that's people who get started shopping at Macy's. I thought he did a very good job, and I think that Macy's is one of those companies that I talked about that's the opposite of Home Depot. Stock got killed. Uh, stock has room to go. I like it. Yeah, some of those delivery uh, costs are, are biting margins, but it was an interesting yes. quarter, Jim. Yes. Uh, how about tonight? Okay, I've got Charles River Labs, uh, which is the way to be able to design new drugs. They design most of them. Sean Connolly, who's done a fantastic job at ConAgra when it comes to frozen. Doug Perch, people still use cash, particularly, by the way, it brings, they use it for marijuana, for dispensaries. The marijuana stocks are getting killed. There's a lot of, uh, of chaos there. Marijuana, David trades with Churchill. David, David, <laughs> David, did David kill Churchill? No. no. <laughs> um, well, uh, who knows what's going on with cannabis after the New, New Jersey legalization, Jim. We'll see you at 6. Uh, Mad Money, of course. Uh, Mad Money at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.